Would you lie under oath to help your case? Yeah. In the past, have you stated that just because you lie a lot doesn't mean you're good at it? Maybe, I don't know. Your characterization of me as a liar is untrue. Almost always, I tell the truth. Would you agree, Mr. Durst, that once you admit that you would lie to keep from admitting something damaging to the jury, would you agree that that pretty much destroys any credibility you would have? No. That's not a hypothetical. That's what you did. That is not what I did. Welcome back to Season 2 of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. I'm joined by my co-host, Brittany Bookbinder. On Tuesday, August 17th, after Dick DeGaron concluded his direct examination, John Lewin began his cross-examination of Robert Durst. For those following the case, the showdown between defendant and prosecutor represents the climax of this trial. As we have reported, Lewin and Durst first met in March of 2015 in the New Orleans Parish Prison for the interview that would later become the bedrock of the people's case against Robert Durst. Six years later, Lewin has the chance to question Durst again. While Lewin now has the benefit of likely thousands of hours of prep work and conversations with witnesses, the stakes have also gotten higher. If convicted, Robert Durst could face life in prison, and his testimony during this portion of the trial will leave the strongest impression on the jury about whether or not he is to be believed. In this episode, we'll examine Lewin's strategy for cross-examining Durst and how it shifted over the course of the day. That's coming up after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As he had done with Dick DeGaron, Judge Wyndham allowed Deputy DA John Lewin to sit close to Robert Durst's chair beside the witness stand to allow both men to hear each other better. While the seating arrangement made for a more intimate conversation during direct examination, cross-examination began in a somewhat more contentious manner. So, Mr. Durst, um, Mr. DeGaron called you Bob. So you tell me, how do you want me to refer to you? I'm comfortable doing it however you want to do it. Do you want me to call you Bob? Do you want me to call you Mr. Durst? What would you prefer? How about sir? Still, Lewin began the day in a tone that harkened back to his 2015 New Orleans interview. Right off the bat, however, Durst came out swinging. I can't tell you how much time I've spent on this, but I've probably hundreds, if not maybe a thousand hours. Um, I've got an outline that's roughly 200 pages. There seems to be a very thin line between when someone is making a speech 
give me more information than the question we call calls for. There is a word that is repeatedly used that the witness is not allowed to, in essence, tell a story. Okay. You are not allowed to give a narrative. You will answer the question. You should not give a narrative. Well, where the narrative begins and where the narrative ends, I find very confusing. Then, as he had done with other adverse witnesses, Lewin asked Durst to reflect on how the speed and completeness of his answers differed on direct examination. Would you agree that during your direct examination with Mr. DeGuerin, that you were able to hear, understand, and respond to just about all of his questions? If there's anything that I ask you, and I understand you're reading more than you're listening, or are you both? Are you listening to what I say and then reading it as well? Or how are you getting the questions right now? Can you hear me? It takes me a while for it to register what you are saying. So you're more reading it than you are hearing what I'm saying. Is that is that right? It's easier to read it than to listen. Next, Lewin asked Durst about his memory, which, Lewin noted, appeared to be selective. How would you describe your memory overall? Well, you do on a scale of 1 to 100. And if 100 is perfect and 1 is terrible, I would think I'm a 60 or a 70. Oh, I imagine I have a pretty good memory for a 78-year-old. Well, in fact, you testified in direct examination to the minimum wage in Vermont in the early 70s, the completion dates and addresses of Durst skyscrapers, the name of the fraternity house where you stayed in the summer of 1966, the time of day you first met Susan Berman, and even the name and spelling of Dykstra Pool, which, unlike Beverly, you spelled it right without an E. You agree you were able to remember all those details? I remember all those things, yes. And would you agree that some of those details were pretty innocuous and not necessarily important? I think the reason I remember them was because they were important to me. As good as your memory is today, it was probably better when you were a little bit younger. Is that a fair statement? I'm sure it was better when I was younger. And would you also agree, Mr. Durst, that all of the marijuana probably hasn't helped your memory either? Marijuana is very bad for memory. So without the marijuana, you would probably be off the scale. Right. So you've also testified in this case to very specific memories about, as an example, the length and the color of coat Kathy was wearing when you had the argument after she returned from Gilberta's on January 31st, but you allegedly remember almost nothing about the details of Morris Black's dismemberment. I remember almost nothing of Morris Black's dismemberment. Mr. Durst, do you know when I say the term selective memory, do you understand what that means? Well, I mean, I thought I knew what it meant before the lady testified. Are you referring to Dr. Loftus? Yes. Right. You didn't just listen, you paid for it. 
my trusts pay for her? Lewin then pursued a line of questioning intended to explore Durst's sense of entitlement. Durst's response appeared to take the prosecutor by surprise. You ended up, after you worked for Vista, you applied for food stamps. And, and you've told this story. This comes from you, correct? I told that story because Andrew Jarecki asked me to tell that story. So are, are you now saying that the reason that you lied to get food stamps was because it was some requirement for you to be working for Vista? Yes. And you would agree, Mr. Durst, that the first time you ever said to anybody that I made that comment about food stamps because Andrew Jarecki told me to do it is right here, right now, correct? Andrew Jarecki did not make me say it. Andrew Jarecki gave me hints as to what he wanted me to say. And I do not recall discussing food stamps during our interview in 2015. Lewin then challenged Durst about fragments of his childhood memories. Were you and your, your dad ever on the same team or was it always divided up this way? There must have been times when we were playing goldfish and I ended up on the same team as Dad. But as a general statement, we were always on other t opposite teams. When you think about these memories of the four of you playing Go Fish, Uno, throwing the Frisbee, are those painful or are those happy memories for you? Happy memories. And is it fair to say that these images involving these activities with your mom and your father and Douglas, that they're kind of indelibly imprinted in your mind? Yes. Now, your mom died in 1950, is that correct? Correct. Mr. Durst, if I were to tell you that the Frisbee was not invented until 1957, seven years after your mom died, what would be your response? I don't remember testifying that I played with a frisbee as a little boy. I want you to assume for a moment, Mr. Durst, that you testified to this jury on direct examination that you would play Go Fish Uno and throw the frisbee. Are you saying you don't remember saying that? I remember saying that we were on different sides playing goldfish and Uno. I don't remember saying we were on different sides playing Frisbee. Well, I want you to assume for a moment that the Frisbee was not invented until 1957 and that Uno was not invented until 1971. If that were true, you would agree that these memories that you've described, these emotional memories, cannot be accurate. Is that correct? Lewin was then able to elicit a shockingly candid response from Durst regarding his involvement in all three alleged murders. The ensuing exchange is so crucial to the momentum of Durst's testimony that we are going to play it without interruption and with only light editing for concision. Would you lie under oath to help your case? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
have you lied thus far during your testimony at this trial? No. But if you had lied, given your last answer, you might not admit it, correct? Correct. On direct examination, do you remember the first thing that Mr. DeGuerin asked you? He asked me if I killed Susan Berman. Did you know that question was coming? Yes. And you denied it, is that right? I said no. If, in fact, you had killed her, would you tell us? No. You were asked this exact question at two different times during the March 15, 2015 interview. Is that right? Do you remember? I don't remember. Do you remember me asking you, let's RD 329, please. This is page 51, lines 8 through 10. I can tell you right away, I don't remember. I'm sorry, mistress? I do not remember what happened in 2015. Right, that's why I'm going to play it right now. If you had killed Susan, would you tell me? No. Does that refresh your recollection now? Yes. And so even back then, you were honest in the regard of basically telling us, hey, listen, if I killed her, no, I wouldn't tell you. And, and that's where you still stand today, is that right? Correct. Would you agree, Mr. Durst, that once you admit that you would lie to keep from admitting something damaging to the jury, would you agree that that pretty much destroys any credibility you would have? No. So can you explain, Mr. Durst, if you've said you've taken an oath to tell the truth, but you've also just told us that you would lie if you needed to, can you tell me how that would not destroy your credibility? It would not destroy my credibility because what I'm saying is mostly the truth. There are certain things that I would lie about, certain very important things. So maybe another way to say it, Mr. Durst, is would you agree that the question of did you kill Susan Berman is the most important question in this trial? I would agree with that. And you've also just agreed that you would lie about that. Correct. And you've also just agreed that, in fact, if you had killed her, you wouldn't tell us, correct? Correct. So given that that's the case, would you agree then that for every important issue in this case, Mr. Durst, in essence, you've just said you're not to be believed? No. Can you explain why you say no? And if you can't, you can just say, I can't explain it. A hypothetical, did you kill Susan Berman, is strictly a hypothetical. I did not kill Susan Berman. But if I had, I would lie about it. So for the jury who's trying to assess a, what happened in this case, and B, what your credibility is. I'm just trying to understand, having you just told them with that answer, that in essence, they can't believe anything you say about anything important. No. All right. You were asked the same question March 15, 2015, with respect to Kathy Durst. Do you recall being asked, if you had killed Kathy, would you tell me? I don't recall. So 
I want to, I want to, you know, and I'm going to just ask this straight out. If you, if you had killed Kathy, would you tell me? No. Does that refresh your memory? It does. And Mr. Durst, if I were to ask you right now, if you had killed Kathy, and I asked you, Mr. Durst, you're under oath right now today. Did you kill Kathy? Would you tell us? No. Let me ask you, Mr. Durst, if you had murdered Morris Black, would you tell us? No. All right, let's talk about some other areas of untruthfulness. Is it fair to say that you're someone who lies a lot? No. There are very few things that I would lie about. Well, it's fair to say that, that with, in the context of this case, you'll lie about anything that you believe is a threat to get you convicted, correct? No. In the past, have you stated that just because you lie a lot doesn't mean you're good at it? Maybe, I don't know. You don't remember that being kind of a guiding description of how you lived your life? I don't remember saying that. And it is not a guiding description of how I live my life. I was following a script prepared by Andrew Jurecki. He literally had a script and you were reading it? Script is the wrong word. Hints are the right word. Hints was Andrew's word. Andrew Jurecki told me what to say in telephone conversations before I gave interviews. Well, isn't it true, Mr. Durst, that the reason you've been caught in so many of your lies is that they're just not very good? Well, you bring up the cadaver note. And I had to lie about the cadaver note because anyone who saw the cadaver note would have to believe and I was with Susan Berman when she died. Well, it's worse than that, Mr. Durst. You previously said on multiple occasions that, quote, that's a note only the killer could have written. Correct? That's what Andrew asked me to say. That, that's another thing that Mr. Jarecki asked you to say. Did he ask you to say it when you were speaking to me as well in 2015? Well, he asked me to say it once, and I repeated it. Lewin then turned his focus to Durst's assertion that his reason for cooperating in the 2015 New Orleans interview was because he was interested in making some sort of a deal. When you were interviewed by myself and detectives in the prison in Louisiana, did you consider that to be a pretty important interview? No. You did not. Well, it went nowhere. I was right. It went nowhere. You were right. Is that what you said? Correct. So do, do you believe that you said many, many incriminating things during that interview? Yeah. So my question to you would be, why on earth would it matter what Andrew Jarecki said to you three or four or five years prior? that would lead you to say those things to a deputy district attorney 
and two LAPD homicide detectives. Can you explain that? Because I was working on a plea bargain. You were, wait, you were working on a plea bargain? I was making a deal with you to get me out of Louisiana. Did, by the way, did you ever mention anything about you needed to get out of Louisiana during that interview? I think I made it clear that I was ready to do a plea bargain. Well, Mr. Durst, are you aware, listen, this isn't your first rodeo regarding being charged in a criminal case, correct? I don't understand the expression. So, it's not your first rodeo means that, in essence, hey, you're not somebody who all of a sudden, for the first time in 2015, is being questioned by a prosecutor and homicide detectives has never had any exposure to the criminal justice system, correct? Well, I obviously was wrong because I thought you would do a plea bargain with me. Did I not tell you repeatedly that, Mr. Durst, I, I can't offer you anything? You definitely did not tell me repeatedly that you could not offer me anything. So it's your, it's your belief that you and I were having plea bargains on a case that had not been filed, is that? This is your thing was not being filed. What was the deal you were trying to get? I was trying to get out of Louisiana. Well, Mr. Durst, isn't it true that what you proposed, you proposed was if I tell you about Susan and about where Kathy is, what can you do for me? That's a paraphrase of what you said, correct? I remember that was at the very end of the interview and I spoke very carefully. I said that if we made a plea bargain and I wanted to make Ann McCormick happy, and I would have to say, what happened to Kathy? At no point did I say that I knew what happened to Kathy. <laughs> Mr. Durst, how could you say what happened to Kathy if you didn't know what happened to Kathy? I was speaking in your kind of language. If we make a plea bargain, you're going to want to know what happened to Kathy? That is different from me saying that I know what happened to Kathy and I don't know what happened to Kathy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Later, Lewin moved on to examine the veracity of Durst's statements related to his wife Kathy's disappearance and his own actions in the weeks that followed. Isn't it true, Mr. Durst, that Mary Hughes had filed an affidavit and then in your response, you said 
that almost without exception, no statement in the affidavit of Mary Hughes is true. That was your response, correct? You're asking me to remember that? Okay. If it's up there, that's why I respond. You further said, I have not disposed of any of Kathy's belongings or personal property, and the allegations made to the contrary in Mary Hughes' affidavit are false. That was a lie, correct? That was true. Mr. Durst, you had already thrown her stuff out more than a year before. You'd thrown it out from Riverside, uh, from uh, East 86th Street, testimony from Karen Minatello. You'd thrown it out from South Salem, testimony um, from uh, Elizabeth, Jones. Elizabeth Jones. Is it your testimony, Mr. Durst, that you did not dispose of any of Kathy's property? Correct. That is my testimony. And you heard the testimony of Elizabeth Jones where she testified that you told her to make a junk run and basically get rid of all this stuff from South Salem. Is it your position that that was untrue? Yes, I never told Liz Jones she should throw out anything. All I told her was that Kathy gave the sewing machine to Janet Fink, who has not picked it up. So therefore, you, Liz Jones, can have the sewing machine. Lewin then explored Durst's truthfulness in his testimony during Dick DeGaran's direct examination on the subject of domestic violence against his wife, Kathy. You swore under penalty of perjury that Kathy had made up allegations of physical abuse. And you said that she had lied about that. Is that correct? I don't know what you're talking about. I never threatened her life or threatened her in any way or assaulted Kathy or caused her any physical harm or abuse. That's a lie, correct? That's true. You never assaulted your wife. Correct. When you grab her by the hair, Mr. Durst, is that an assault? That's the Christmas party. Some people said I grabbed her by the hair. Other people said I grabbed her by her coat. No, the only person who says you grabbed her by the coat, Mr. Durst, is you. I Name me one other person who says you grabbed her by the coat. Do you know, Mr. Durst, of another individual who Tom has- Hughes. Tom Hughes. Tom Hughes. Yes, Mary Hughes' husband, Tom Hughes, said I grabbed her by the coat. And do you have a statement from Mr. Hughes that says that, Mr. Durst? I think you interviewed him and he said that. I want to ask you if, in fact, Mr. Durst, you had threatened or assaulted Kathy, would you have said so in this affidavit? I think I would have been silent about it in the affidavit. So you're saying so you'll lie in a courtroom under oath, you've said, on certain issues, but you're saying you wouldn't lie in an affidavit, you would be silent. Is that correct? But I did not ever assault Kathy. What happened at a Christmas party, no one would consider to be an assault. While the prosecution looked for a clip of Durst talking about pulling Kathy's hair from his interview with Andrew Jarecki, Durst continued his brand new and self-evidently implausible assertion regarding Andrew Jarecki scripting lines for him. There were two versions. One, you pulled her out of the house by the hair, 
and two, you pulled her out by the hair and a big clump fell out. That's what you said, correct? That's what's in the movie, correct? No, that's not what's in the movie. That's what you said, correct? Those are your words. That wasn't Ryan Gosling. That was you, correct? Oh, and that was what Andrew wanted me to say. And that's what Andrew had Ryan Gosling say. So, Mr. Durst, when you watch that video, how does it make you feel? when you watch it. I thought it was a bad movie. No, Mr. Durst, I wasn't asking you to assess the movie. I'm asking you about the image of you pulling your wife out of a house by her hair. Does that make any impact on you at all? No. Do you feel remorseful? I did not pull her out of the house by the hair, so I have nothing to feel remorseful about. Lewin then returned to his theme of asking Durst about his propensity to lie. Given your past lies to police officers, your untrue statements and sworn affidavits, your comments about your testimony in Galveston, your statements today that you would lie about questions about whether you killed Susan, whether you killed Kathy, or whether you murdered Morris, since you are an admitted liar, can you explain why a jury should reasonably believe anything you have to say about any of those issues? Your characterization of me as a liar is untrue. I tell some lies, but mostly, primarily, almost always, I tell the truth. I don't know which police, I guess Michael Stroke is what you're talking about. I told Mike Stroke two lies over a long period of time. You lied to Mike Stroke. You lied to Andrew Jarecki. You lied in the Galveston testimony. You lied when myself detectives interviewed you, correct? Correct. Lewin also inquired about what he described as a, quote, concerted effort that Durst makes in how he formulates his testimony for the jury. In your direct examination, did you make a concerted effort, meaning you, yourself, to mention certain things during direct examination, even if they weren't necessarily responsive to the question? Certainly some. So as an example, would you agree that you were talking about a typical day that you and Kathy would have in Vermont. You were talking about the activities that you did. Do you remember what you mentioned? Mr. DeGuerin was asking you, you know, what you did, what was a typical day for you? Do you remember what you brought up kind of out of nowhere? No, I don't remember. All of a sudden, you brought up that you would cut up logs with a bow saw. You don't remember that? I don't remember saying that, but we heated with wood and you cut logs with a bow saw, and you use a splitter to splinter the log. Right, you mentioned the bow saw, Mr. Durst, because you understand that you've got a problem with bow saws in this case, correct? We're talking about Morris Black. We're talking about Morris Black, we're talking about the bow saw unused, sitting in your car when you're arrested. We're talking about your story about uh, 
New Orleans and dumping your car. My question is, do you realize, Mr. Durst, that BOSAWs and your possession of them is potentially a problematic issue for you in this case? Do you realize that? No, I do not realize BOSAWs have anything to do with Susan Byrne. Well, that's not what I asked you. You understand, Mr. Durst, that you are also, because of the rulings that the court has made, that it is relevant for us to be talking about Kathy and about Morris, you would agree that BOSAWs are extremely relevant to Morris, correct? I don't know if BOSAWs are extremely relevant with Morris. That was one of the items you used to cut him up, correct? A forensic said I did that. I have no knowledge of doing that. So I have no knowledge. Does that mean you didn't do it? Or does that mean you just have no knowledge of it? Well, the forensic said I did do it. So I have to accept that I did use a bow saw in addition to the axe that I used. In the climactic moment of the day, Lewin appeared to set a trap for Durst. He lured Durst into the trap by asking Durst a question and then sprung the trap when Durst walked into it with his answer. Again, due to the dramatic nature of this exchange, we're going to play it in its entirety with only minor editing for concision. Did you tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth during your trial testimony in Galveston? I lied in the trial of Galveston. I said I was in Northern California when Susan Berman was murdered, and that was a lie. Is that the only lie you told during that trial? The only one I'm aware of. If you had lied repeatedly in that case, would you tell me right now? Would you admit it? Would I admit it? <laughs> I try to think, why would I admit something that did not happen? I did not lie repeatedly. I lied once. That's not what I asked you. I want you to assume for a moment that you had lied in other place in Galveston testimony. I just want to ask you, would you admit to us that you had lied? I cannot assume something that didn't exist. It's like asking me to assume the earth is flat and then asking me where it ends. I did not lie and I cannot assume that I did lie. So you can't be asked a question whether you would lie about something unless the thing you were had lied about it actually happened. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. So I guess, Mr. Durst, that's why you can tell us that you would lie if you had killed Susan. You would lie if you had killed Kathy. You would lie if you had killed Morris because, in fact, that's not a hypothetical. That's what you did. That is not what I did. So please explain. You just told me a moment ago that I can't answer your hypothetical, Mr. Lewin, because it's a hypothetical and that didn't happen. Yet, you answered my hypotheticals previously before the break. I asked you, if you had killed Susan, would you tell us? You said no. If you had killed Kathy, would you tell us? You said no. If you had killed Morris, if you had murdered Morris, would you tell us? You said no. Now I ask you a hypothetical, and you say, I can't answer that hypothetical because it did not happen. You said, yes, that's correct. So my question is then, 
by your own analysis and reasoning, you are able to answer the hypotheticals about whether you killed Kathy, whether you killed Susan, and whether you murdered Morris, because that's not a hypothetical. It's exactly what happened. And you know, as you sit here, you know whether you would lie about it or not because it happened, correct? It did not happen. Joining us now, as he does on every show, is reporter Charlie Bagley, who's covering the trial for the New York Times and for CrimeStory.com. Welcome back, Charlie. Hey, thank you. So, Charlie, take us through your experience of John Lewin's first day of cross-examining Robert Durst. This is the main bout, what everybody has been waiting for. It got off with a little bit of a stutter in that Bob seemed a bit defensive, a bit tightly wound in that uh, Lewin, the prosecutor, asked him, what do you want me to call you? Bob came back and said, sir. But the prosecutor then persisted with a a sort of low-key demeanor and very quickly seemed to get under Bob's skin. If Bob was trying to plot out a very smart and safe course, he began making mistakes. Well, I think the great coup that Lewin struck was getting Durst to admit that he would not tell the truth if he did kill Kathy, Susan, and Morris. What was your sense, Charlie, as you heard that in the courtroom? It sort of took my breath away because when Lewin asked him those questions, he was very upfront. You know, I'm, I'm, if I had killed Kathy, if I had killed Morris, if I had killed Susan, I wouldn't tell you anyway. So from that point on, I think the jury is looking at him and wondering, well, what can we believe? And then it seemed during a break, his lawyers got to him or he thought better of it. And he started saying to Lewin that he wouldn't answer hypotheticals about lies he didn't tell. And then Lewin asked him, so does that mean that you saying you wouldn't tell the truth if you had killed Kathy, Susan and Morris means that those are not hypotheticals? That was one of the most brilliant things I've seen in a courtroom in, in my experience of observing a courtroom. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real matchup here. And, um, but I, I think that the problem for Bob is that Lewin knows his past statements in all their contradictory glory better than Bob knows them. Brittany, what were some of the things that stuck out to you in Lewin's first day of Cross? Well, speaking of contradictory statements that Durst has made, Lewin talked about the hair pulling incident at the Christmas party. And it was incredible because we've talked about this before here. And I I think where we came down on it was it must be that Bob doesn't count that as abuse somehow. And yesterday we started to get a new story. As far as the hair pulling in particular, Bob said, Andrew Jarecki told me to say that, which I think really flabbergasted Lewin. I really don't think he saw that coming. There was a moment when when Lewin played a clip back and Jarecki coached him saying like, say that in a full sentence. And he said, you know, is that what you mean when you're saying that he told you to say that? And Bob said, no, he really seemed to make it sound like the things that sounded the most sensational were deliberate. You know, for a little while, I thought maybe his strategy here 
is to come clean about certain lies because he knows that Lewin is going to impeach him on a, on a couple of key things, you know, the two lies that he told Struck, as well as where he was the week that Susan Berman was murdered. Of course, in Galveston, he said that he was not in LA and and he has since come around on that. So I was wondering if he thought, well, if he can show the jury that he's willing to own up to those lies, that it's not the case that everything he says is not to be believed. But by the end of the day, like you're saying, that seemed to fall apart. I think you make a good point. In a certain way, Janine Pirro was one of the villains in Bob's telling in Galveston. Andrew Jarecki has replaced her. So by the end of the first day of Lewin's Cross, Charlie, where do you think Bob ended up? I I think many points behind the prosecution. As the day ended, the question was, how is Bob going to recover? Or can he recover? And so join us again for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, where we examine day two of John Lewin's cross-examination of Robert Durst. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Please remember that you can receive alerts and news breaks on developments in Robert Durst's murder trial, as well as new episodes of Season 2 of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, by subscribing now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to refresh your memory on where the prosecution and defense are heading with their arguments in the trial, go back and re-listen to episodes from Season 1. And head over to CrimeStory.com for in-depth coverage of the Durst story. Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. This episode was written and edited by yours truly, Brittany Bookbinder. It was co-produced by Alexis Bartolo and Brittany Bookbinder. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst.